Well, good morning, church. I say good morning again because I feel like sometimes from the first time I step up here for a call to worship to the second time I step up here, it's, it's a different church. I feel like there's been an engagement in God's spirit and worship, and it's like we're ready to roll now. We're ready to hear what he has to say in his word. Um, I, I heard a story about a fellow. He found himself in front of Peter in the pearly gates of heaven. And uh, he was waiting to get in. And as he stood there, Peter said to this man, he said, well, tell me, there's some criteria that needs to be met before you can come into heaven. Tell me, are you a religious man? Do you go to, are you a churchgoer? Are you religious? And the man looked at Peter and said, no, not really, no. Oh, well... Were you generous? Did you give money to the church? Did you give money to maybe nonprofit organizations or did you tithe in any way to charity? No, no, I've never done that. Oh, Peter felt a little bit more saddened for this man and said, Have you done any good deeds? Do you help your neighbors out? Do you do anything like that? And John was like, ah, I don't think so. And now Peter's getting a little exasperated and he says, Work with me here. Work with me here. If you want to get into heaven, think about it. Have you done anything good, anything helpful? And, and then the gentleman's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I goes, um, I did help this old lady just once. I came out of a store, and she was surrounded by this big gang. And they took her purse. And I didn't think that was right. So I stepped in, and I grabbed that purse from that that purse from the big gang member, and I snatched it out of his hand, gave it back to the lady, and I went back to that big gang member, the biggest one there, and I said, you're a coward. You shouldn't do this. And um, Peter's like, wow, wow, how impressive. When did this happen? Oh, about 10 minutes ago. Some of you, that will hit you later, I don't know. We've been looking at heaven uh, in our sermons, looking into God's word to see what happens uh, after life on this planet. And we know that we are given one life to live. And we have an expiration date. All of us die at some point in time. And we get to choose heaven or hell now. Not when we get to heaven. As I was trying to explain in that story. But anyway... You have to make that choice today. Not when you die. Not when you think, oh, I'll end up at the gates of heaven and I'll be able to stand there and make that decision at that point in time. And No, you make the decision now. And when you make that decision, when you have said, you know what, I believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, to pay a price that I couldn't pay. To make a sacrifice I couldn't make. Because I'm, I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. It separates me from a holy God. But Jesus paid the price so that I could have a relationship with him. And I believe that. So I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you've made that kind of decision, then it's a good decision. And at that point in time, God adopts you into his family. And last, last Sunday, we uh, basically had 25 people who said, I am publicly declaring my faith in God. I have made that decision. And they got baptized. But their baptism was a showing of their faith, a proclaiming of what they believe. 
And uh, we said last Sunday that they're not just there to be baptized and proclaiming their faith. Um, They were also announcing to everybody else, they're citizens of heaven. Church, we said that when you've placed your faith in Christ, you are now a citizen of heaven. It isn't when you get to heaven, you are now a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2, 9 and uh, 19 and Philippians 1, 27 tell us all this. And we got to celebrate that last week at the baptism. And what a tremendous time it was as a church family to publicly declare our faith as we took communion together as well and um, reminded the truth of what God had to say about being citizens. Um, Again, church, remember this. A follower is one who believes in what Jesus Christ has done. We call them a believer, right? But a follower then acts on what they believe. We don't just say and believe it, but we, we do it as well. And we live out that truth. Paul says that as citizens, we're to conduct ourselves in a manner worth living. And that we are worthy of the good news about Christ and sharing that. So we believe, we follow as citizens of heaven. We're foreigners here on this earth, which means just like I shared with you when I've gone to the Dominican Republic many times, I fly into Santo Domingo, I get off the airplane, and all of a sudden everybody's speaking a foreign language, and I know I do not fit in anymore. And they look at me, my skin color is different. I act different. Their customs are different. There's certain things you don't do, hand motions, that I would do as an American, but you wouldn't do as a Dominican. Because that's their custom, that's their culture. As a citizen, you would know that. I am a foreigner here on earth, as well as you are. The things that go on in this world, students, the things that your peers do at your school that seem so cool, that they're getting away with, that's not what citizens of heaven do. We live as citizens of heaven even though we're on this planet. Until Christ takes us back or until we die, we are part of a community where our loyalty is to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But upon our death, we understand this. At that time, we are ushered into the presence of God. And the angels take us there. We're conscious. We're aware of what's taking place. As I've shared with you before, there's no soul sleep. You've maybe heard that phrase before. There's no soul sleep. We're fully alive. We're fully ourselves. We just don't have our glorified body at this point in time, which you can read about in Second Corinthians. We know this, that when Christ returns, if we're still here, when Christ returns, we're given new bodies at the time. There's judgment. We experience a new heaven and a new earth. And again, I fully understand the mix of all the events that we could be talking about, rapture, tribulation, millennium, all in there, all talked about in the Bible, right? But we're not getting into the order of all those events. What I said what we're going to focus on is what we know about when we die, what happens, and new heaven and new earth. And we're going to talk about those things. So here's what I want you to know this morning and sort of moving into this is this. Upon death, my citizenship it now begins in the presence of God. Even though now I'm a citizen of heaven, my citizenship in the presence of God begins upon my death. We establish that heaven is precious to us for many reasons. We all have reasons why we think of heaven and think of it in an incredible way. We want to be with loved ones who have passed before us that we miss so dearly. We want to be with the great men and women of the Bible that we've read about in the stories. And it's like, I want to get to meet some of them. 
We want to walk on the streets of gold and see the pearly gates. And, and we want to be around and see the angels in the throne of God. We want to see all of that. And so all of us in here have many reasons why heaven intrigues us. And maybe we want to be there. However, none of those things, as we've said before, as precious as they are, and they are very precious to us, none of those things make heaven what heaven really is. What makes heaven really heaven is is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of the Lord. To be in the presence of God. To worship the way Adam and Eve walked with God, we will walk with. In spite of all that we look forward to in heaven, all those wonderful things, the greatest thing we should be excited about in heaven is being in the presence of God and seeing Jesus face to face. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Somebody in the back will see your hand. They'll bring one. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to be reading a lot. And here's what I want you to understand. That as we're reading this, that we are reading what is currently taking place right now. In this moment, an incredible worship service is taking place in heaven. My dad is worshiping in heaven right now. My grandparents are worshiping in heaven right now. They are experiencing what we would want to experience, what we experience at a much smaller level right now here. But they are worshiping right now. They are conscious in conversation and in the, their personhood is intact. They are worshiping. And this is not what heaven is going to be like forever, what we're about ready to read. This is just a glimpse. It's not the whole picture. What we're going to read, read later in a few weeks is about the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll later see that in the end of the book of Revelation. But this is sort of what current's happening, currently is happening right now. So look at chapter 4 with me. We'll start reading verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here. And I'll show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled there, his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him. Twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white, had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. You know, we're we're all amazed at the glimpse that John gets, right? But do we hear and do we see what he has seen? I mean, if you were to slow down and read this. And as I read through Revelation 4, I'm not going to get into the symbolism or what this may mean. I mean, I want you to see the picture for what is taking place in this moment. It's clear that God's in control. The word throne is used five times in the scripture and just pertaining to the throne of God alone. Right now, that indicates, you start reading it, it indicates what? God is in charge. There is a throne. It's a one-seater. And he is on it. He's the ultimate ruler. There's no room for anybody else. And sometimes I have to step back and ask myself, how am I doing with that truth? How am I doing with submitting to the truth that I am not in control? As many times as I want to be in control, oh, you're a leader, you're a pastor, you're a director, you're a dad, you're a husband, you should be leading. 
That's right, I'm in control. But there's times I step back and say, I'm not in control. God's in control. And it seems like we try to rule in our lives on earth, and then, you know, as you famously has been said, how's that working for you, right? Surrounding the throne of God, then, are these four living creatures. Let's read on in verse 6. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. I remember as a kid, students in here, I remember as a kid reading this, hearing the pastor read this, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I could draw this. I was so intrigued. What do these creatures look like? And just... And it's like, I was so amazed in trying to figure out the detail that I didn't step back and look at the whole picture. So again, stay with me on this. Look at the whole picture and just imagine what's going on in the throne room of heaven. Verse 7. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. The fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. Their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. They... After day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, one who always was, who is, and is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what pleased you and what you pleased. As you read that, you sit there and realize in heaven, the worship is focused on God, God alone. He is holy. Holy means set apart. Separate from all other things. There's no one like our God. Chip Ingram says in his book, there's, there's no category to place God in. He's perfect and righteous without sin. He's worthy of our worship and praise. All through creation, doesn't matter where you start, if you go, go back to Genesis. Start looking at all the kings that came into power then when man was like, we don't want God to be our ruler anymore, we want an earthly king. King after king after president after ruler, everyone tried to be in control, Right? But they come to their senses at some point in time and realize they're not. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the mightiest of earthly kings, was humbled by God. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 34 to 35, it says this. And before I read this, understand, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream as a ruler, as a king. And he shared it with Daniel. Daniel interpreted it and said, King, you are about ready to be humbled. You need to realize that there's one God and you are not it. You need to humble yourself. Nebuchadnezzar never humbled himself. Matter of fact, he bragged about himself and about his kingdom. And God brought a period of insanity upon him where he went out and ate grass like a cow and he was not looking good as a king. And then his sanity returned and he worshiped God. This is what it says, Daniel 4, 34 to 35. After the time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. 
He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? See, God is in control. God is on the throne. And that's the first thing John sees when he gets that glimpse of heaven is God's on the throne. He is in charge. Oh, we should be humbled. This king was humbled by God, spoke truth to whom God is. The four living creatures that we read here in Revelation 4 speak the truth of God's eternity past. When they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who, who was. Think about this. Who was. There was never a time that God did not exist. You know what happened at the beginning of time? Before time was God. Before that was God. Try to chew on that and come to sense of it. You can't because it's God. And the four living creatures are proclaiming us. They proclaim his presence, engagement in creation right now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and is right now. He is. He's in charge of all right now. And then they continue on declaring the future of God. That his existence is eternal. Who was and is and is to come. Our God is amazing. And he's on the throne. As we read this, we realize, you know what? I think we've personified God and Jesus Christ too much. And what I mean by that is we've taken God and we've, we've when I say personified, meaning we've made him into be like, like a person. God is like that, that awesome grandpa with the big beard and we sit on his lap and we want to pull his tuck on his beard and give him a hug. And we sort of picture God like that or, or Jesus as my best friend, my buddy. And then I get that, but he's not. When we read of God, when we read of Jesus Christ and how they've been approached in Scripture, we should stand in awe. If you're in Revelation 4 right now, just turn back a couple pages to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we read that when John first had this vision, it says in verse 12, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. It was Jesus. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were bright like flames of fire. His feet were as bright as bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was as bright as the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I don't think there's, hey, Jesus, buddy. John's like, he saw the glorified Jesus Christ, and he went face down in awe and fear and love. Read with me. Go back to Revelation now, chapter the incredible worship service that we began in Revelation chapter 4 continues into chapter 5 and we're going to pick this up in verse 6 where John says I looked and I saw a lamb as if it had been slaughtered but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that's sent over every part of the earth. Seven always representing what? Perfection in the Bible, right? Verse 7, he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. 
And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language and people nation. And you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. What an incredible worship service. When we arrive in heaven, we will worship. And we will worship differently than the angels. The angels are created beings. They were, they were created to be in the presence of God and to serve God in multiple ways. We, however, were created differently. We are broken people. We are sinners. We mess up. We are in need of a God who saves. God pursued us with his incredible love. He sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, as we're reading here, right? And he died for our sins. We're going to worship the angels differently because we've tasted grace. We do not deserve heaven. But because of Jesus Christ dying on that cross, he showed us grace, giving us what we don't deserve. Tasting grace... I'm going to be worshiping, I believe, God differently probably than an angel would. Our view is different. It's going to be an incredible worship service. (laughs) Incredible worship. It's not going to be a passive service. It's not going to be where we're standing half interested, looking at a screen on the wall with lyrics. Uh, Come on, flip to the next screen. Well, I think that guy was off over there. Why isn't she singing louder? You know, we're not going to be judging people up front. We're not going to be wishing we were somewhere else. We're not going to be wondering when the song's over. We're not going to be saying, well, why don't they sing that song? That's my favorite song. I wish they'd sing that song. We're not going to be sitting there saying, oh, where's my phone? I better check it, see what I'm missing out on right now. When does this game start today? We're not going to be wondering what's for lunch. We're not going to be bored. There's not going to be any kind of disinterest. It's going to be full out singing and praise. Adoration to God. Honor to the living God who was and is and is to come. It's going to be incredible. I don't even know how to describe it besides what we've just read. I can't even imagine the kind of intensity and intimacy that we're going to have in worship except to maybe look back a couple of years ago to a concert I went to. I went to this concert with my boys. They wanted to go hear uh, a guy by the name of Lecrae. Lecrae's a Christian rapper, and it sounds like an oxymoron putting those two words together, Christian rap. I don't know. But anyway, that sort of looked like rap when I was doing it. Okay, never mind. That's for my sons who make fun of me for saying things up front, using hashtag a lot. I told them one of these times I'm going to dab, but I'm not going to go there. But anyway, so I took them to go see Lecrae. And if you know anything about Lecrae, it's just just loud, okay? And uh, Andy Minio is another guy who was with him. He opened up, and they're singing. It was super loud. I mean, the music was doom, boom, and it's 
booming. And I'm sitting there, and, and Jenny was home, and we're texting each other. And she's like, well, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, well, I'm going deaf. And I could, I could feel my hair, like, vibrating with, a, with every bass beat. Like, boom, boom, boom. I was like, this is incredible. And, uh, but my boys were loving it. It's like, hey, you know what? Take one for the family, right? And so, because, like, my first concert I went to was Cool in the Gang. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's farm boy. I went to go see Cool in the Gang in Chicago. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and I went to my first concert. My attitude was, yeah, I can't wait, you know. And now I'm standing there as an adult amongst all these kids. And they're like fired up. And these junior high girls behind me like, we love you, great. And they're screaming and shouting. And he can't even hear them. And if he did, he wouldn't even, what is he going to say? Love you too? I don't even know you, right? But these girls are like, love you. And they're pumped and they're fired up. And I'm sitting there thinking, maybe that, a little bit of that, maybe that's what heaven's going to be like. And what I mean by that is the music, it's, it, I can't know what the music's going to be like, but it's going to be whatever you like, I think. And it's going to be beyond. You probably won't even be able to, I probably don't even know what it sounds like. But it's going to be the most heavenly, incredible thing. And we won't complain. It's like, that's, that's the perfect pitch. That's the perfect sound. It's, I love it. And we're going to be like those junior high girls that are like, yes, I love you, Jesus. And, it's, and we might be down, though, face first. But it's, I believe it's going to be that kind of intensity and that kind of intimacy where we're going to really love what's going on and we want to be a part of it and we're going to be bound down and there's no way to explain it. Maybe, maybe something like that. There's not going to be any disinterest. We're not going to stand back like this. If anything, we'll be face down, right? It's going to be incredible. And you know it's going to, you know, it's like, I don't want to say the icing on the top, okay, but... Let's put one more nice thing to this. You're in heaven. I'm in heaven. We're in this worship service. Incredible, right? You know what's going to make it even a little bit better? It's going to be the person worshiping next to you. It's going to be the person worshiping next to you. You know why? Because all those loved ones that you are missing right now, they'll be worshiping with you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to look over. Here's my dad. Grandpa, Grandma, people from this church that have passed on, they'll all be there. It's going to be incredible because we'll be together with them. That's going to make heaven even more delightful, isn't it? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Why do I say that? Why do I believe that? As I read through Scripture and study, I come to passages like this that help me put these things together. And as I read through other authors and and discuss these things with people, it's like, yes, I believe this. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Jesus has been with his disciples. Now he grabs three of his disciples, and they're going to go up on this mountain. It says in verse 28, about eight days after Jesus took... Later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James, the three of them, and he went up on the mountain to pray. Can you imagine this again? You're with Jesus. He says, hey, I want the three of you to come with me. Just the three of us? Yeah, the three of you. So we're going up on the mountain to pray. We're going to pray with Jesus. Verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face transformed. Listen, his clothes became dazzling white. Sound like Revelation, right? Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which is about ready to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Jesus starts having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. Yeah, you know, in a couple of days, the cross. I know. I know. You ready for this? I'm ready for this. This is why I came. This was my mission. And I don't know what they were saying, but they had a discussion, right? Meanwhile, look at verse 32. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. Are you kidding me? 
I, anybody ever feel guilty when you're praying late at night and you sort of doze off? Like, oh, amen. You know, if you feel, you know, you know what I'm saying? This happened, right? I just, I'd like to say I used to do it as a kid. There's times, even now, I admit it. But I'm praying, you know, and I'm sitting there going, how could, they're right there with Jesus. Don't fall asleep when you're praying with Jesus, right? But when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory. Can you imagine? You, you, you're sitting there praying to Jesus, and you're like, oh, I dozed off. You open your eyes. Brilliant white. Glorified body. Moses and Elijah are there too. You might start pinching yourself. Am I dreaming? Nope, this is real. This is really happening. And Moses and Elijah are getting ready to leave. And Peter's like, not even know what he's saying. He blurts out, Master, it's so wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter's never met Moses and Elijah. Those are years apart. But Peter recognizes them. We say, will we recognize people when we go to heaven? Yes, I believe yes. When I read scriptures like this, I sit there and think, will they recognize me? Will I recognize them? Yes. What an incredible moment for Peter, James, and John. We don't know how it all happened, but each man was known with their names and they were recognized, although there were hundreds of years of difference in existence. They appeared in a glorious splendor, of course. They didn't have the same body they previously had on earth, but they were still the same people, Moses and Elijah. They had physical bodies. You don't build tents or shelters for disembodied spirits. They had a discussion. They dialogued with each other. This story, this truth gives us hope that after I die, I will experience the same thing. When I die, I believe I will be ushered by God's angels into his presence, into a worship service. And there I'll worship with the people that I know that I miss and with people that I've never met before. God's holy people. And I'll have conversations with them as well. Church, this is what I believe to be true as I have studied God's word. I believe this. And I believe I'll be in that presence of God. And I believe I will be humbled and brought to my knees. And I will worship God with intensity and intimacy like I've never worshipped before. And I will worship him with dad, with grandpas, with people in this church that have gone on before us, and Moses, and Joshua, and Jonah. I'll probably lean over by Jonah and just see if he still smells like a fish. I'll lean over to Peter and think, you were, you were with Jesus. You saw all the miracles. How incredible. And it'd be an incredible worship service. Knowing this truth, sharing this with you this morning, why does that matter? Why does it matter that I share with you tomorrow, this, this, today about heaven and, and what I believe God's word tells us about heaven? How does it impact me for my present life? Last scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4.8. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, in this last scripture we look at, I want you to see this. Paul's been imprisoned. The apostle Paul's been beaten. He's been persecuted. He's been left for dead. There's times when he was devastated and depressed, I'm sure. You know, we sit there and sometimes think, man, I've had a bad day. I've had a bad week. I've had a bad year. And all this crisis in my life. And we, here's the thing. We can't even compare with Paul. But read what Paul says. Starting in verse 8, he says this, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, 
but never abandoned by God. How do you think Vladimir, who you saw in the video at the beginning, remember, he belonged to a persecuted church. They had to pack up and hide their church and move around so they wouldn't be caught. What do you think that verse means to Vladimir when, in his family when he'd read this? We were hunted down, but we were never abandoned by God. Paul goes on to say, we get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Look what Paul says next in verse 13. But we continue to preach because we have that same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Paul is declaring his confidence that just as God raised Jesus from the dead, someday we will be raised from the dead. And that's not all that there is to living. Our eternity in heaven is as certain as our life on earth. Paul gets into saying this, reading on verse 16. Listen very carefully these last few verses. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, true, right? He says this, our spirit are being renewed every day. For our present troubles, which we all have, are small. They won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we fix our eyes and we gaze upon the things we cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Church, I want you to hear this. Like Paul saying, when we get a clear perspective of heaven, when you can open up your eyes and gaze upon heaven, the intensity and the intimacy of worship that's going to be there, that future should encourage you for today. It should cause us to think differently and live differently. And when we understand that our lives are nothing than this little minute moment in the scope of eternity, and all we seem to worry about is today, oh, do I have this? Do I got this? Do I look like them? Do I have, how do I compare to that person? We're so worried about this little here, we forget about the scope of eternity and what really matters. Instead of living for today's pleasures, live for eternity's rewards. Live for that intimacy and that intensity of worship. There is a joy set before us. There is a joy in our future to someday be in the presence of God. And that, this present life, no doubt, is challenging, isn't it? Painful and struggling at times. Listen to me. But momentary. Momentary. Our eternity, eternity is with God in heaven. Set your sights on that. Allow that hope to fill you today. In a time where hopelessness permeates our society, where you feel like, I don't know if I can go another day at this job. My relationship with my spouse has been horrible. I don't, I, my kids, you know what's going on in the schools these days? If we stood up here and shared everything that's going on in schools these days, you would never let your kid leave the house, right? Because you're fearful of all these things going on. Oh, and then fear and worry and seems like so much hopelessness. Church, we come here on Sunday. Why? To worship a God of hope. 
to be reminded that there's a heaven, a place being prepared for you and I right now. And when we depart from here, we'll be in his presence and our worship with him will be intimate and intense, be incredible, beyond words. And we'll be doing that with the people we love and miss. Let that give you hope. Let that give you peace for today. Make sure you share that with somebody else because this world needs that hope of God. Amen? Would you please stand and we'll pray and the worship team come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words in Scripture. We read from Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. We can only imagine what that throne room is going to look like where you are. We can only imagine the incredible, intense, and intimate worship that we're going to have with you and those that are around. God, that should give us hope for eternity. God, that eternity could not take place without the plan that you've set in motion. Without your Son, Jesus Christ. Without the Lamb of God. We thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price we couldn't pay. Thank you, God, that you make it so simple that all we got to do is just believe that truth and confess it with our mouths and ask for forgiveness and you forgive us and you send your spirit then into our lives to help us live for you because you're not just our Savior, you are our Lord. Thank you. What incredible grace to give us something we don't deserve. Because of that, we are now your children, adopted into your family. We are citizens of heaven. We are saints. We are your creation. We are your masterpiece. As much as we get treated like junk, or people call us names, or we feel bullied, it's all garbage and all lies from Satan. The truth is, we are loved. We are your children, adopted into your family. Because of that, We have the glorious hope of worshiping in your presence someday. And until then, we'll just worship you from here. We're here for a plan. We're here for a reason. Maybe that's to tell more people about you. So while we're telling people about you, God, may you be glorified in it. Not us, maybe you be glorified in it. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this time of worship. Lord, we sing out to you now as we close and we sing, Lord, a time of worship. Just praise. You're awesome, God. We love you. In the name we pray. Amen.